Welcome to Small Business Big Challenge, the podcast that gives you the right tools, the knowledge, and the confidence to start and grow your small business. Because what stands between you and your most ambitious dreams has less to do with having a genius idea and far more about how you approach problems, make decisions to solve them, and have the courage to implement them. So without further ado, from the beautiful village of Cuba, New York, your host, Lionel Legree. Unlike most states, which have legalized cannabis via ballot referendum, New York doesn't have much of a tradition or infrastructure around statewide voter initiatives. Therefore, it's up to the state legislature to propose and vote on new legislation that will be signed or vetoed by the governor. The debate generally gains steam every spring during budget negotiations when the governor introduces a budget proposal for the following fiscal year. In New York, cannabis for medical use started to be legal in 2014. In 2018, the New York State started a comprehensive study to gauge the likely impacts of legalizing recreational sales, which concluded that the positive effects of a regulated cannabis market in New York State outweigh the potential negative impacts. There were many debates on whether or not municipalities would be able to opt out and on the push to ensure a large portion of new tax revenues would be invested in communities of color, which have been most affected by what most now see as historically racist and damaging enforcement of cannabis law. As of today, New Yorkers are now allowed to possess small amounts of cannabis and smoke, ingest, or consume cannabis products. However, the timeline for dispensaries to open and sales to kick off remains distant. The law doesn't provide a specific timeline, but the first sales are expected until the end of this year or later, and it will take another 18 months for New Yorkers to be allowed to cultivate a small number of plants at home for recreational purposes. While many small businesses are awaiting the state's to issue licenses for farming, dispensing, and delivering cannabis products, there are many unanswered questions, and these businesses wonder how they will pivot the business to cannabis and position their product in the market. My guest today is Jonathan McFarlane. Jonathan started in the fitness world, working with big brands and superstar athletes like NFL star Rob Gronkowski and UFC legend George St. Pierre. He is now Director of Strategy at Hybrid Marketing Co., the world's largest cannabis-focused marketing agency, where he builds creative marketing and advertising solutions that circumvent the tight restrictions placed on the rapidly growing cannabis industry. Jonathan lives in Denver, Colorado, with his wife and his four-year-old. In his free time, he's hiking and fundraising for Ukraine. Well, Jonathan, welcome to Small Business Big Challenge. Thank you, Lionel. I'm excited to be here. I'm uh, excited to have an interesting conversation with you today. Me me too. 
I wanted to start with some questions about your early career in the supplement industry. So what was your previous experience? Yeah, so I got into the supplement industry with video experience, basically. That was kind of like my very, very early career was um, TV, video, film, news, documentaries, that kind of stuff. And I had a, a really strong personal interest in bodybuilding. So um, I kind of got attached, connected to a, a professional bodybuilder and was basically following him around for years all over the world, making sort of documentaries for him and for his fans, that kind of thing. And eventually his sponsor, his su the supplement company that sponsored him, hired me full time. And so that was my entry into the supplement industry. And from there, you know, I just sort of... Uh, started taking on more and more responsibilities, moved companies a couple of times. Now, looking back, it was exciting. I, I really love that industry and I love it now, but from the outside. And what made you transition from the supplement industry to the cannabis industry then? I think it was um, maybe a lack of opportunity for people like me, uh, that I still saw myself as a creator largely at that point, even though I was in a, a marketing leadership role. And, um, I just wanted something different. You know, I'd been working in the supplement industry, the fitness industry as a whole for a very long time, more than a decade at that point. And I think I just wanted a new challenge. I wanted to, to try something that I had no experience in. And, um, because both industries are, restricted, although very differently, it wasn't the craziest thing to go from one to the other. So what is the difference between marketing cannabis and marketing the supplements? Yeah, good question. Well, actually, I think the biggest difference isn't necessarily the marketing. The, the biggest difference is the perception of the two industries. And that is really about stigma. So um, there's not really a stigma with taking supplements. I mean, lots of people take protein or vitamins or whatever. I mean, that's, it's just so normal to people these days, but there still is a big stigma attached to cannabis. Um, not as much in places like Colorado when it's been around for quite a while, but certainly in other places where there's no legal system or maybe just a new legal system, that stigma does persist. Um, and that stigma also kind of extends into the restrictions on advertising and marketing in the cannabis industry as well. So did you move from Canada to Colorado just because of the cannabis regulations? No, actually, I started in the cannabis industry while I was still in Canada. So that would have been, uh, I'm just guessing, if I look back, right around 2016 or 2017, something like that. Um, so I actually got to see the federal or the national legalization of cannabis in Canada and participate in that sort of that process, that story, which was amazing. And then, and then got recruited to come down to the States to work for an agency very small at the time here in Denver called hybrid that had some cannabis clients and were interested in growing that part of the business. In New York state, there's a lot of misinformation circulating about license cost and how these licenses will be distributed. Where can you get accurate information about cannabis regulation in a specific state? Yeah, so in my specific state, there is a, a Colorado, basically like a Colorado Board of Cannabis. I don't remember what the 
technical term is, but they are kind of like the government leadership for anything related to cannabis. So information to the public, um, the laws in terms of use, where you can use, where you can't, um, even the restrictions in terms of how things are grown, how they need to be tested, all that kind of stuff. Every state that has a cannabis program of some kind will have that type of organization, that type of governmental organization as part of their industry. They do different things and offer different things in each state, but they are technically anyways supposed to be the ultimate resource for the cannabis industry and consumer safety in your state. And before the show, we talked about this website called thecannabisindustry.org. Is this website just for Colorado or is it for all states? No, so that's the uh, National Cannabis Industry Association, and that is uh, a U.S.-wide organization. They're um, they're a lobbying organization, so they help promote and fight for uh, legalization federally and all sorts of other things related to the law. Um, but they're also a uh, a trade organization for the industry as a whole, and it really comes back to you know, professionalism to some point is there's sort of like the, the chamber of commerce for cannabis. If you're going to have a cannabis industry, mm-hmm. a business in the industry, you do want to be part of NCIA for sure. And in New York, the regulations are still being written as we speak. But in other states like Colorado, are regulations being tweaked over time or are they now well established? It definitely things change over time. Um, and that is that's not just Colorado. I mean, that seems to take place in pretty much every state that goes uh, medically legal or adult use legal. You know, they have a starting point and then over time rules change. Sometimes they loosen. Occasionally they get tighter, but but rules change over time. New types of licenses open up over time. Advertising rules and restrictions change over time. I mean, it is almost a given that when a state opens up a legal program, those rules are just a starting point, and they do sometimes change pretty quickly. So what are the existing marketing restrictions for cannabis? Yeah, well, and that's part of the challenge of what we do as an agency that's focused on cannabis. Um, We have clients all over the U.S., and every single state in the U.S. that has a cannabis program of some kind has different rules and restrictions. So navigating that landscape is challenging, but that's part of why we exist. I can tell you here in Colorado, it is much more open in terms of what you can and can't do. I mean, in most of Denver, for example, you can we can do out-of-home advertising. So if we wanted to, we can do billboards, that kind of stuff. Print advertising we can do. We have we're allowed to do social media. We're we're allowed to do most of what we want to do. Not everything, but most. If you contrast that to a place like Ohio, for example, it's much more restrictive in terms of what you can what you can do, what you can say. You know, logos uh, have to look a certain way. We had a client there that we were basically doing their their initial brand design for them, and everything that you do related to marketing or advertising in Ohio has to be submitted and approved by a government board before you can actually put it out there. That that even goes to a social media post goes to any copy that changes that are going to happen on your website, all those kinds of things. And so in this brand design for a client we were doing there, we actually, I think it was four different times we had to go back to the board for approval just on the logo part because they 
they said it looked too much like a cannabis leaf or something like that. And so it, it really d- depends state to state. Some are really restrictive. Some are not so restrictive. And then you kind of have everything else in the middle. It's kind of weird that you cannot use a cannabis leaf for your logo. Yeah, you know, and, and it's kind of funny you should say that because we almost always universally will recommend against using a cannabis leaf in your logo, but not because we're not allowed to in most places we are, just simply because that is just how logos have always looked since the legalization of the industry. Sure, yeah, like yes. a green cross or like a green pot leaf or something like that. And so we're we're kind of trying to move away from that simply because we don't want our clients to blend in. I mean, we're marketers. We want our clients to stand out. So uh, we look for other ways, different things we can do to uh, to kind of break from that tradition. And what are the current restrictions in social media? Yeah, social media is challenging, has always been challenging for cannabis. There are, each platform has their own rules. Almost all of them will prohibit you from showing any sort of consumption. So you don't, you don't want to use an image of somebody actually smoking a joint or something like that which is different from a personal profile, you know, the business versus an actual person. So that is almost universal. But here's the thing. I mean, the, the challenge with social media is that despite what the platforms have in their terms of service, we are, we see people get shut down all the time, even if they haven't violated any of those restrictions. So not because of state regulations, but the regulations of the platform itself, right? Yeah. And you do have to consider both. So, you know, when we're posting things for one of our clients in Colorado, we also have to consider what is allowed by the state. But the the social media platforms themselves, at least at this point in Colorado, are much more restrictive than the state is. So it, it is a challenging game to play because if a social media platform like Instagram decides they want to shut down your profile for whatever reason, real or imagined, you pretty much have no recourse. I mean, there's not really anything you can do. You can you can appeal, but you know, it doesn't in our experience doesn't usually work. We had a here's a, a funny example for one of our clients here. There was an image that was posted on their Instagram like two and a half years ago, and I don't remember what the caption was. Something very simple, but the image didn't show cannabis at all. It just showed a tent. And there was like kind of like a glow coming from the tent as though it was somebody camping and there's light in the tent. And that post from several years ago was just recently flagged and taken down. And, you know, we have no idea why, why that happened or what rule was broken. We don't think any, but it's pretty hard to fight against Facebook and Instagram and those kind of platforms with these kind of rules. So, um, we really encourage our clients to not necessarily not do social media, but absolutely they have to have other channels that are active. There, there's there's more important channels that are in, in, available to cannabis uh, marketers than social media. And in terms of age restrictions, how is it handled at the retail level? And also, how do you target your marketing to 21 plus in magazines and social media? Yeah, well, retail is... is very they're very tight on terms of who can actually come into the store 
it's not like a liquor store where you might be the one purchasing, but you can, you know, bring your kid brother with you or something. If you're going to be going into a, a dispensary, you have to be over 21 for for a recreationally legal dispensary. And if the ID even looks kind of suspect, they'll they just won't let you in. I think one time I tried to, I was visiting Colorado from Vancouver, BC, and I only had my Vancouver like my Canadian license, my Canadian driver's license. And there was no way they were, they were not going to let me in the store. And, and I, I understand that in terms of advertising and that kind of thing, you, you have to try to target groups that are going to be over 21 generally. I mean, there's some things that you, you do that don't, don't, don't follow that. For example, billboards, you know, but, but in general, if we're putting ads out there, like, let's say we're doing display ads, that kind of thing, you know, we use predefined audiences that are supposed to be the right age, you know, above 21, or typically we actually will bump that up to 25. So, you know, at some level, we're trusting the ad platforms and trusting that the audience that they're delivering to us is what they say it is. But at least we have it on paper, like, hey, this is who we're trying to hit right here. It's documented. We're doing everything we can to make sure that we're not marketing or advertising these products to young people. Have you had any issues so far with putting advertising in magazines with nationwide distribution? One might think it might foster interstate commerce, which would not be allowed under federal law. That's that's interesting to, to put it that way. Uh, I have not heard of any issues like that but a lot of the businesses like if we're talking about nationwide publications like if you if you look at those kind of publications a lot of the businesses that are advertising are not directly selling cannabis you know they might be selling accessories or in the business landscape they're selling goods and they're selling services that support the industry not actually selling they're not Plant touching businesses is how we kind of plant touching or non-plant touching parts of the industry. I'm sure there's some exceptions to that, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. And in terms of doing some retail and wholesale business of cannabis, what other than marketing, what other difficulties that business going to encounter in terms of getting bank accounts, loans? Yeah, well, funding is always, I mean, for, for any entrepreneur, that's kind of like early stages steps, you have to figure out how you're going to pay for everything. And in the cannabis industry, no, you're not going to traditional big banks. I mean, you're just, you're just not going that route, but there are lots of private investors. There's lots of business accelerators, that kind of thing that, that can provide funding at an early stage because there are lots of people that are still looking for ways to get into this industry. I know there's lots of investors over the past few years that lost a lot of money trying to get into this industry, but overall, I still feel like the there is a positive perception that there is a ton of opportunity here, and so there are a pretty good number of yeah private investors that are are looking for new businesses to fund, venture capitalists, that kind of thing. And what type of startup investment do you need to create a retail store for cannabis? Are we talking about tens of thousands, millions? Is it a huge investment? Yeah, so that's one of those things that does vary state to state. And part of that is the cost of the license. So in some states, the 
they're very cheap. It could be only a couple thousand dollars to get a license. In other places, it could be a, a lot, tens of thousands or maybe even more. So there's there's that consideration. And then there's also the compliance aspect to it. So like if you're looking to get into retail, are you going to be growing or producing some of your own products? If you are, then you probably need separate licenses for those things. And then you are also now getting into the business of compliance with testing those products, making sure they're safe. Each state has different requirements in terms of how often you need to test batches, where you can test them. All these things can cost a lot of money. So I would not say that opening a dispensary is a cheap thing to do. And if you want to do it right, you know, I mean, I, you would need to have, I would say, hundreds of thousands of dollars at a, at a minimum. And it, it also depends on how competitive your, your state is. If it's a, a super saturated area, well, you need to be prepared to spend a lot more money to get your name out there and be competitive with more established businesses. The flip side is if you're in a state that it's still newer, well, then maybe you really don't even barely need to advertise on day one. That's not to say that you don't invest in marketing at an early state, but you know, like maybe you don't actually need to buy ad space in magazines or you don't actually need to put up billboards to start. There's just there's so much variation that it's hard to say exactly what it's going to take. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to grow wholesale and retail the cannabis within the same state, and in no way you can cross any state line, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, so crossing straight lines with actual product is a, st still very much a federal crime. You can absolutely still be arrested for it and get in lots of trouble. Um, it's kind of interesting, funny story. Uh, it's probably two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now, one of my colleagues, our, 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 our president, actually, Greg Peters, uh, he had a connection. Somebody sort of popped up and said, we're from Oklahoma. We're going to be in town. We're starting a cannabis business. We'd love to meet with you guys. So Greg and I, they, they, came, into, they came from Oklahoma to Colorado. Greg and I sat down to have a talk with them. And they said, um, so our, what we'd like to do is we'd like to grow our cannabis in Oklahoma and then drive it over here. And you guys can help us sell it to your dispensary clients. And we just sort of took a pause. And I think we were both trying to rack our brains to see if we somehow missed something, you know, like, did, was there a federal law that was passed really recently that we didn't know about or which would have been hard to believe, but maybe. And no, we came to the conclusion after speaking to them for a couple more minutes and trying to understand what they were talking about, that nothing had actually changed. Still very much a thing that you are not supposed to do. And talking about Greg, the president of hybrid marketing. Did he really tattoo his values on his arm? <laughs> no, Greg did not really tattoo our company values on his arm. But you know what? Now that we're talking about it, now that it's out there that he didn't do that, maybe he's going to have to do gonna it. Have to. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will let him know. <laughs> and I hear a lot of companies who pivot to cannabis get a complete culture shock. What can they expect exactly? Yeah, so it it really is a a culture shock getting into this industry. Um, especially if you're coming from a much more established industry, there is in a lot of ways, uh, a bit of a lack of professionalism, I would say. That's a huge generalization. And I don't mean to insult anybody else in this industry. It's just, it's because it's so young. You know, we're still, everybody that participates in the cannabis industry is still writing all the rules for how this whole thing is going to go. We're still all trying to figure it out. 
And there's no real rule book. I mean, this is really unparalleled in modern history that this kind of thing would happen this way. This sort of new industry can take hold like this, especially with the state legal, federal illegal. I mean, it's it's very confusing. I, I get that. So yeah, the 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 lack of professionalism, I mean, the counterbalance to that is there is an enormous amount of optimism as well. So, you know, you might get uh, people entering this industry that aren't professionals or haven't been at the sort of professional level in under, other industries, but they're also bringing with them that excitement and that optimism of, hey, we're doing something new. We're not sure where this is going to go. And, you know, that's part of why I love this industry as well for both of those things. And in that sense, for companies who add cannabis to their existing portfolio, would you recommend them to have a completely different business with a completely different brand? Or do you recommend them to use the existing brand? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something that we've tackled for a number of our clients over the past several years. Um, most of the time, we recommend them, them setting up a, a separate brand, whether it's a separate whole separate division or anything like that is not as important. But a separate brand that really focuses on the cannabis part of their business. Um, we find that it is much better to be able to speak the language of your industry and speak the the language of the people that want to partner with you in this industry than to, um, you know, maybe sort of clean that language up on the website so that you can advertise on Google ads or whatever. I mean, the, the, it's way more effective to be able to be uh, in the industry 100%. And we've done surveys that have proven that out. Uh, people that are in this industry, because it is so specialized, if they're looking for goods or services, they will look within this industry first. They look for specialists that, you know, like that's why there's so many, there's cannabis specialized lawyers, there's cannabis specialized HR, PR, marketing, obviously. There's, there's lots of people that are specializing in this industry, and that is because people that are working in it, they want to work with people that are they're in it with them. They're invested. They believe in it. Yeah, I mean, that that is universally, almost universally, the recommendation we make. If cannabis become legal within three to five years on a federal level, if you had to guess, Jonathan, would you say that the big companies would just take over the market? Or do you think that small companies who invested their time and effort into that industry would see long-time success? You know, it's it's hard to say, of course. Um, I know that when, when, when federal legalization happens, certainly there's a lot of companies that have stayed out of the industry that will want to get into it. But there also is um, a real love of craft culture in cannabis as well. You know, you, you hear about lots of people that they don't want to go to the big dispensary change or they don't want to purchase from the giant nationwide brands. They don't they don't want corporate cannabis, as they would call it. So I really do think that there is always going to be some element of smaller cannabis businesses. Maybe they're regional, maybe they're even local being successful. I, I'd be shocked if that went away entirely. And, and you know, we've kind of seen that come about with beer. Exactly. I mean, uh, craft beer didn't really wasn't really much of a thing 15 years ago and now it's a huge part of any liquor store you walk into so um so the craft culture is is real in the cannabis industry as well and if i had to guess 
I would say that you're going to see the same thing with cannabis that what you see right now with craft beers. Craft beer is a quality and a character that big brands can only dream about. And big brands have consistency and control over the production that craft beer can only dream about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and from a marketer's standpoint, things that are that kind of um, are produced with that craft mindset, there's more of a story to tell. Right. You know, and and that's um, that's something that we're always trying to do is, okay, what is the story of this business? What is the story of their products and the people and so on? And people like storytelling. We like to tell stories and people like to hear them. Um, so, you know, we have an easier job of doing that with the, the smaller businesses, the, the um, you know, the, the regional ones are, where you really are still connected to the roots, the founders and so on, the, the, the community, that kind of thing. Indeed, if you look at other products, you, you see that big brands going to have products that's going to be available everywhere at a very good price point, and smaller companies will focus on the quality and on the story. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm right with you on that. I definitely agree. And do you think that for small companies, it will be a competitive market to be early in the game? Well, I think that depends. I mean, of, of course, in any new market, there is definitely a first mover advantage for sure. But, uh, but there's also something to be said to kind of waiting and watching a little bit, seeing what mistakes people have made seeing what the trends are doing in, in, in whatever state or area you want to work in. Now, I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages of, of both. A place like Colorado, would I say it's a great place to get in the dispensary business? No, absolutely not. I mean, there, there's, there is a lot of dispensaries here. It, it's very competitive. But, you know, other states, especially that are smaller markets that are opening up, you know, there's still tons of opportunity. It's just like any new industry or new market with tons of opportunity comes tons of risk and starting in this industry does not mean that you're going to be successful just because you get in early. And I can't really let you go before you tell me the story about uh, the time you sent an anonymous burner phone to a company's CMO. Yeah, yeah, sure. That That's a good one. Um, so I, I had been going back and forth with this CMO. I figured out what his email was and emailing back and forth. And he sounded interested in what I was talking about, said he wanted uh, you know, to see a, a proposal. So I put together some notes for him, sent them over, and he went dark. You know, I'm talking like, I kept trying to get a hold of him, but a couple of weeks go by, still hadn't heard back. So, you know, kind of at that point, it's sort of like, well, I don't really have anything to lose. I mean, he's not talking to me now. So what can I do to try and get his attention to continue the conversation? So um, I went to Walmart and bought a burner phone, wiped everything off it except put one phone number in there and didn't put a name or anything, just said, call this number. Um, and I put the, the background of the phone, like the, the image was our logo, but didn't actually have our business name or anything like that. I got their um, corporate address, packaged it all up and included a note that said, I know you're not ready to talk to me now, but we're out. Of, we're almost out of time. Please find a quiet place and dial the number on the phone. And my biggest mistake was assuming that he would get that that's a matrix reference. Yeah. Um, and he definitely did not get that. So, uh, you know, he had the phone delivered to his office 
and I could I could tell when it was delivered. And about four hours later, I got an email and it just said, Jonathan, I got the phone. I'm not sure if this was incredibly stupid or a clever approach, and I don't know what I want to do. I was actually fearful for my family. thought it was like a hostage situation. Um, I'm going to think about this for a few days, and I'm going to be- get back to you. So um, he did think about it for a few days, but even better, he actually posted on his LinkedIn, and he has like 10, 12,000 followers. He posted on this LinkedIn what I had done and asked his followers what they would do. Would they talk to this person? Would they call the police? Whatever. Um, and uh, a lot of them said, don't ever talk to this person again. They sound dangerous. And some said, um, well, if they're willing to do things like that to get your business, imagine what they'll do when they can actually have your business. So um, ultimately, he decided he liked the approach, thought it was clever, and uh, they became a client and are still a client. So it's been about a year and a half now. So it worked. And I didn't go to jail. Uh, I'm glad you didn't call the police. <laughs> <laughs> I am. And too. that's the thing that's so wonderful about this industry. It's a young industry. So it's going to, going to attract a lot of talent and a lot of creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. We, when we see that now, too, I mean, marketers, they, they want to try the new thing. I mean, right. I think almost all marketers want to try the new thing. And right now, still, this industry is the new thing. So, Jonathan, what are you working on right now? What are your current projects? Yeah, well, we've got uh, we've got a lot of interesting things happening. Let me think of something specific. Well, I can tell you one that we're kind of just finishing up, actually, and that was the launch of a a new brand that supports the industry. Um, they're a very very old paper making company, and uh, actually founded in. 1545 or the roots trace back to 1545 in Europe and um, now have operations around the world. And so they engaged us about eight or nine months ago now, maybe a bit more to basically help them get into the industry. They've been making paper for a long time for lots of industries, but the tobacco industry primarily. And, you know, they, they have transferable products and skills and technology, obviously, with with tobacco papers, different types of papers uh, to transfer into the cannabis cannabis industry is not not a big jump, but they didn't know like how to do it, how to position themselves, how to get in, how to connect to people. So that was what they tasked us to do was basically create a new brand, an entirely new entity for them, and then back it all up with with uh, with advertising and marketing once that's all been created. And um, I think the 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 brand itself turned out incredibly well it's been well received in the industry and some of the assets that we produce for this project have been very cool like uh we did a brand video it's, it's basically a seven minute long documentary about their interesting history because not a lot of businesses go back to the 1500s and none in the cannabis industry so telling this story going and visiting some of the historic sites where this business has operated, really focusing on the people and humanizing them, not so much on the products, more about why they're doing what they're doing. It turned out really well. And that's something that we're still working on and still very excited about. Talking about paper, are smokables still the predominant market? Well, so flour, so smokables, that's still the most popular category. Um, Basically, 
universally across the whole industry. However, as a share of the overall uh, products, flour is on the decline. Still the largest by, by quite a ways in most markets, but it, it is losing out to things like edibles. And, and I think that, that part of that is because people that are newer to cannabis, they might not necessarily want to smoke anything. Right. I'm not really interested in smoking. I am a cannabis user, but I don't, I don't want to smoke. Uh, and I mean, my, my 70 year old mom, my 69 year old mom, um, she uses, uh, low dose cannabis gummies before bed to help her fall asleep. And you know what? She has absolutely no interest in smoking, never will. But, um, you know, it's, it's a very familiar type of product. It's a little gummy. It's almost like, you know, like, like a vitamin, it sort of looks like. (laughs) So, um, I do see the, uh, alternative categories like edibles, um, topicals, things like that becoming more popular beverages, which, you know, subcategory of edibles. I, I, those are going to continue to grow in popularity. And if our listeners wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Sure. Yeah, they could uh, send me an email. It's jonathan at hybridmarketingco.com. And my first name is J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N. So kind of an awkward spelling. I lose a lot of emails because of that. Um, Or if they want to learn just a bit more about what we do, it's hybridmarketingco.com. And uh, and of course, I'm I'm on LinkedIn as well. Well, Jonathan, thank you for sharing your story and for educating us on the intricacies of cannabis marketing. I appreciate you being on the show today. Well, thank you, Lionel. I appreciate your time and the conversation. And uh, this was fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. If you like this episode, head to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Leave a rating and a comment while you're there. It really helps new listeners to find the show. You can also join us at smallbusinessbigchallenge.com for more content or to leave a message with your ideas and what you'd like to hear next. If you are starting, running, or supporting a small business, this is your show. So be our next guest and share your story. For more information, go to smallbusinessbigchallenge.com. The information in this podcast is provided for general informational purpose only. It does not constitute professional advice or services. Listeners should seek the appropriate legal or other professional advice on their particular facts and circumstances. We disclaim any and all liability or responsibility for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. This podcast is for private non-commercial use, and our guests do not necessarily reflect any agency or organization or company that they work for.